It is uh, good to be with you this morning. It's been a little while since I preached here in a regular service, I think. Uh, the last year and a half has been quite challenging. And then the year before that, at the Lord's instruction, I was in 24 states and 52 churches uh, throughout that year. And so there, some of us have a common condition here. You don't know me, I don't know you. Someone asked me a few minutes ago, what percentage of this crowd would you say you don't know? <sighs> Probably a third. Probably. Praise God. And some of you that I used to know are back again. And I'm so very thankful for that. This is not my message today. Uh, this is what I feel led to do at this moment, if I could. There's some folks that's been around here a while that haven't heard this ever. So this is not the message. And, uh, okay. Um, if you think your pastor is long-winded, folks have learned over the years, Brother Wright, starting early, we must going to be getting out early. Probably not. Because I have one priority, and that's to obey Jesus, whether that's convenient for me or you or not. I'm not trying to be unkind. I don't mean this negatively, but you're not the priority today. He is. We're not here to do what you would like to be done. We're here to do whatever he wants to be done. So if you could give me a moment or two, I want to, that's rhetorically speaking, a moment or two. Um, <laughs> let me give you a very brief history of where you are. Um, I was born in a uh, Navy family. In fact, my birth certificate reads at Naval Air Station, Pensacola, Florida. Uh, five and a half years later, my wife was born there. Not in the hospital, Pensacola, Naval Hospital, but in Pensacola. And um, she was born into a family of preachers. Both mother and father were in the ministry. And I was born into a Navy family. I was a member of seven different churches across this country by the time I graduated high school. And then uh, in June of 1964, I started at Naval Academy and graduated there in June of 68. I was in flight training in Pensacola and... Uh, had been preaching for a while. Uh, people were inviting me to come, and I knew I was going to preach when I got out of the Navy. I knew that when my five-year obligation was up, I was going to get out and go into the ministry. Um, but the Lord saw fit to change that. I got married on the 1st of November of 1968, got my local ministerial license with the United Pentecostal Church on the 14th of November and the 4th of December, I woke up with a pain in my shoulder. 
And then three days later, they diagnosed me with a paralyzed shoulder blade called a right-wing scapula. They kept me on limited duty for a year, and they medically retired me. And my wife and I began to travel in ministry. That's called being an evangelist. And we, I wanted to do that 10 years, and God let me do it for eight months. On the 12th of uh, 12th of September, 1970, we drove in this town to start a church of our faith. There was no church of our faith that we knew of in the area. And uh, I was 24 and uh, six months old. My wife was had just turned 19. And uh, if I heard, if I had a thousand dollars for every time somebody said, "Aren't you kind of young to be a pastor?" We, we might have our building paid off. A lot of folks don't want to turn 30. I was thrilled to death to turn 30. It mean I didn't, it mean, it, that meant I didn't have to hear that anymore. We started with just the two of us. We had no contacts, no people, nothing. The only thing we could do was uh, meet people, invite them to church, and some came, and of those that came, some were saved. And of the saved, some stuck around. <laughs> and uh, we bought this property in uh, December of 1976. And we weren't able to build here until 1982. And um, I became the bishop slash senior pastor on August the 31st, 1998. And at the same time, uh, Pastor David Wright was ordained as the co-pastor of Antioch uh, on that same, in that same service. And then on December the 18th, 2005, at the instruction of the Lord, I <coughs> gave up uh, painfully the title senior pastor and became just a bishop of Antioch. Uh, there are, out of Antioch, there are 27 churches around the country that started directly out of Antioch. There are over, over 135 preachers that have been saved and trained and sent out from Antioch. And currently this morning, Antioch is here and in Deal and in Pinewood Village this afternoon in Glen Burnie and in College Park and in downtown Baltimore and also Antioch West is wherever they can meet. Uh, that's our newest congregation. There's also a Spanish uh, Antioch that meets here in the afternoons on Sunday. So if you look around and say, well, this is not, there's not a lot of people here. Well, that's because we don't believe in the megachurch. We believe we're supposed to take the gospel to people, not expect them to drive 
to some mega location. And we're not done. We're not done. Uh, there are services on several different college campuses led by people with, from Antioch. There's also uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery, a ministry to those with addictions that work. Uh, no, I'm missing something, and please don't be offended if I miss what you're doing. Uh, you're doing it under the Lord, and he knows if I don't. If you haven't gotten the message yet, I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a manager at all. I'm an overseer. There's a difference. Praise God. So... Uh, <laughs> That's the very brief history of this church. Uh, we are a part of the Maryland, D.C. District of the United Pentecostal Church International. I am currently a, an honorary member of the district board and also an honorary member of the general board. Uh, two of our senior pastors of Antioch are presbyters. Two of the five presbyters in the District of Maryland are members of Antioch. And uh, there are others. Uh, there's, there's another really, 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 really important office holder that's a part of Antioch. My uh, wife is the Maryland, D.C. District Ladies Ministry. The president, I think, is you guys use president, don't you? I, well, whatever it is, she's in charge. And last year, when I was uh, <clears throat> incapacitated for over nine months, she was in charge then too. <laughs> yes, Sila, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> Praise God And um, <laughs> It is good to see you And uh, It would be a joy to spend some time With each one of you Unfortunately that's not going to be today <laughs> Our uh, District is having its District conference this week Starting tomorrow and I have much to do From my Self and my wife to be able to get out of here to go to that. So, if you would please forgive me and not brand me as rude for not sticking around shaking everybody's hand, I would deeply appreciate that. I will be back. Okay. Praise God. Um, Luke uh, 18, verses 18 and 19. <laughs> now, I'm going to mess with the pastor here, okay? If you're going to stand when I read scripture, every scripture I read today is important. 
and I've got a lot of it, and it might be best for you just not to sit down if you're going to stand every time I read the Scripture. <laughs> uh, I'm only half kidding. Just you choose which half. <laughs> Luke 18, big, verses 18 and 19. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. And then in the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 10, Romans 3 and 10, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You may be seated. Now, it is possible that reading those two verses, you are bracing yourself. Uh, you don't want to do that. I am so thankful for these two verses. I've said this many times. If you want to go to the eternal destination where the good people are going to go, I hope you have an asbestos suit. If you don't want to go where the bad people are going, uh, you're not going to see Jesus. You say, but that's exactly the opposite, what I've always been told and believed. That's because whoever's telling you that stuff's not telling you that from the Bible. Because the book says there's none good, not, no, not one. There is no one capable of going to heaven because they're good and deserve to go. That's why we are not here practicing a religion. I don't believe in religion. The word religion in the Bible is a bad word. Every time the word religion is used in Scripture... It is a bad word except for one verse. And the Lord had to put a positive adjective with the word religion for you to know not to reject it. So if you want to practice religion, this is what the Bible says is the only acceptable religion. You visit the fatherless and the widows. That's pure religion. And undefiled is this, that you would visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. So coming to church doesn't satisfy that. This is not religion. The Bible calls pure religion visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And if you're not doing that, then you're not participating in religion if you're trying to do that. And visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction is a, is a, a biblical thing to do. But I don't believe in religion. I believe in personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here worshiping a God that is unknown and unknowable. I'm here worshiping a God that not only I know, but who has commanded me to know him. 
The Word of God actually commands us to know God. Knowing God is not optional. It's not optional. If I don't know God, I don't have faith. Because the whole Bible is about us knowing God. But the problem we have is this. Scripture says your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So that he will not hear you. So for the sinner that's never known God, there's only one prayer he's going to listen to. Prayer of repentance. You say, well, that's not very kind and loving. Oh, so I'm going to ignore him, live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do, And then when I get in a jam, I'm going to call on God to rescue me. And as soon as things get better, I'm going right back to the way I was living. You know what that's called? Using and abusing. You want to be treated like that? Is there anybody in this room would be okay with being treated like that? Somebody only interested in you when they need you, and as soon as they don't need you anymore, they neglect you, they don't communicate or have anything to do with you until they need you again. Is there anybody here that's okay with that kind of relationship? Then why should God be? Why? Why should He be okay with us only being involved with Him when we need Him and completely ignoring Him when we don't? The Bible says that we are made in his image and after his likeness. There are some feelings we have only because God has those same feelings. And he put within us the ability to have those feelings. Because we're made in his image. The difference between us and God, obviously, is he's God. He's everywhere all the time. But the difference is we have this stuff. And Paul said concerning this stuff, Romans chapter 7, in me, that is, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. This stuff is selfish, one way, Wants what it wants, when it wants it, like it wants it, and wants to be the center of everybody's attention. You're like that? I'm not like that. You're lying to yourself. I can prove it. Walk it into a room and everybody speak to everybody else and not speak to you. And tell me you're okay with that. Try to tell me, try to tell yourself, tell God that that doesn't offend you when that happens. No. The problem is, <laughs> I have a problem. I'm not good. Not by myself. See, I believe the Bible. I believe it 
says what it means and means what it says. Now, I understand, you know, I know this is going to shock you, but after 77 years of living, I am very well aware. And I've dealt with people's opinions in ministry for 55 years. Actually, 59 years, but that's either here or there. And I know, I get it. You know, whenever things go in your way, you're not interested in hearing about God. But when things aren't going your way, you want him right there, right now, fixing everything that's broke. Fix it. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, then we get upset with God. This is off the subject, but it's not. I, I just get so frustrated with all these, these God-like people who say, well, if there was a God, there wouldn't be anybody shooting other people. Let's see. You want God to keep people from shooting other people. Okay, I'm not opposed to people not shooting other people. That's a good idea. But the way you want it fixed is you want God to not let them shoot people. That means for that to happen, he has to violate their will. And since you want God to control everything so nothing bad happens by violating people's will, since you're the one running your mouth, then you're the one volunteering for God to not let you do your will anymore. We want him to control everybody else and leave us alone. That's insane. Of course, we're all just a little bit that. That's exactly what making myself the center of the universe does. It makes me insane, self-deceived. Somebody wrote a book a long time ago. I did not read it. The title was enough to keep me from it. I'm okay, you're okay. I guarantee you, if we saw and heard inside that person that wrote that book, everything that God saw, sees and or saw, I don't know if they're still alive, and heard that in their thoughts, God wouldn't label them as okay. And I know one thing, after 77 years, I promise you, I'm not okay. I need a Savior. Every day, I need a Savior. You Christians are so weak, you need a crutch. <laughs> Seriously? I was talking to an individual the other day, and I looked at this person and said, I know you know some rich people, but I'm the richest person you've ever met. Put a value on being a recipient of the Lord's righteousness. Put a value on peace that surpasses all understanding. Put a value on joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. 
You can't possibly put a value on those things. And I have all of that in abundance. Not because I earned it or I deserved it. Because the God who loves me gave it to me. Oh, I got good news. He's willing to give it to anybody who's willing to receive it. On his terms. So that means if I don't have righteousness, and the Greek word there literally means innocent. If I feel guilty and full of shame rather than innocent, it's because I'm rejecting his righteousness. If I have fear and trouble inside here, it's because I'm not letting him give me peace. And if I have sadness and sorrow and abundance and don't have joy, that's not on him. That's on me. He is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. Well, why does it have to be on his terms? (laughs) Have you ever raised any kids? (laughs) Seriously, have you ever raised any kids? you ever given anything to a kid that you knew he wasn't ready for? But he pressed you and pestered you? And you say, okay, you want that? Let's, I'm going to let you prove me right. So you let him do what he wants to do, or you let him give him what he's pressing you to give him, and then he messes it up because he's not mature enough to handle it. But, of course, then he blames you. That's what we do with God, see. God gives us this life and we mess it up and it's his fault. That's why the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's not what this world believes. This world believes that man is inherently good. That's the conflict right there between God and man. Because if I say I'm inherently good, I don't need a savior. So I don't need God. That's the whole purpose for the doctrine. And it's a doctrine because it's a religion. That man is inherently good. (laughs) I've had people accuse me of blind faith. Well, no offense, but I've got a Bachelor of Science degree in Engineering. With a major in applied engineering mathematics. I know two plus two equals four. Not three and a half. Not four and a half. Four. Excuse me, I realize this isn't popular today, but that's an absolute. And it's one you don't rebel against. Because you work all week. You know how many hours you worked. You know what you're supposed to make per hour. You know what that check is supposed to read. You get that check and it's not what you you expect it to be. You're not happy about that. Well, two plus two is not an absolute. I gave you what I feel like giving, giving you because you can't bind me to absolutes, says your employer. Oh, wait, wait a minute. We agreed for me to work for such, and I worked this many, and the paycheck should, no, 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 no. Don't you understand there are no absolutes? Do you know anybody that's okay with that? 
This, there are no absolutes is a self-contradictory statement because that's an absolute statement. And why do people say things like that? Nothing but for the purpose of trying to excuse them so they don't have to acknowledge there's a God and that they are not. They're not Him. There is a God, and I'm not Him. And I'm not standing here today because I'm better than anybody, because I've done more that makes me worthier than anybody else. I have one reason to hold this microphone in front of you today. One. There's only one. There's only one qualification I have that's of any significance for holding this microphone today. The blood of Jesus. Therefore, if you think any of this is talking down to you, it is not. Because of the blood of Jesus. Luke 23, 32 says this. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary... There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Luke twenty three thirty nine says, And one of the malefactors, which was hanged, railed, with, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our, of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He's innocent. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How many of you believe that Jesus was crucified between two thieves? That's a trick question. I haven't been here often enough. Can you show me book, chapter, and verse where it says he was crucified between two thieves? Look it up. The word is never used in regards to the two people. That's tradition. That's not Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible calls them male factors. Why? Because the worst possible death or execution the Romans could impose upon you was crucifixion. They didn't do that for common thievery. So whatever it was these two men had done, it deserved from the Romans' perspective the worst possible death that they could apply. The worst. Galatians 3.13 says... Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Back in that day, if you despised the person so badly and what they had done was so horrible, that even if somehow they got killed in another way, 
they would take the corpse and hang them on a tree because it was the most shameful thing they could do to a person. And I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the sensibilities of those artists and sculptors. Sculptors. That's not it. Forget it. Uh, who always covered Jesus with some kind of material hanging on the cross. They did not crucify people clothed. Part of the shame was... You were hung there naked, completely exposed to everybody. Because the whole purpose of it wasn't just to execute you, it was to shame you. That's why crucifixion in of itself rarely ever killed a person. That's why a person usually hung there for two to three days before they died. Suspended like this by nails causing the weight to be uh, your weight to be supported by that would cause both collarbones to pinch and cut off your air supply which would cause you to pass out the person would somehow deep inside realize that they were about to die if they didn't get a breath this caused them to push down on the spike in their feet so they could get relief and take a breath but the pain was so great in doing that they would pass out again and they would hang there passed out most of the time until they were about to asphyxiate. And then they would do the whole thing all over again. And they would do it for days and days sometimes before they would die. Therefore, if the Romans were in a hurry to get this over with, they would break the legs of the person that was crucified so they could not push down. They could not get any relief on their esophagus so therefore they could not breathe they would die Jesus died in six hours they never broke his legs why because in the garden of Gethsemane where God was taking our sins and putting them upon him so that he is the innocent one could suffer in the place of the guilty. When he prayed in the garden, he wasn't praying not to die. He said, let this cup pass from me. And that is biblical terminology for sin. When, when the cup of a person's sin is full, Scripture talks about So he was drinking the cup of all the sins of mankind. He was sinless. He had never known any sin. His being had never experienced any kind of separation. The man Christ Jesus had never experienced any kind of separation from the Spirit of God, from the Father. But that sin was going to cause a temporary separation so he could die for those sins in our place. That's why the world despises the cross. You know why? Because the cross says you can't save yourself. The cross says you'll never be good enough to save yourself. The cross says somebody else had to die in your place to save you. And our world doesn't like that at all. Because first of all, they won't, don't want to acknowledge they have any kind of need. 
They don't want to acknowledge they have any sin that needs to be taken care of. They certainly don't want to acknowledge that somebody had to die in their place just so that they could be saved. I know it's considered by some, what, a paradox, oxymoron? I don't remember exactly which one of those it is. Maybe it's both. That you have to acknowledge being bad to get good. Because he makes us good by forgiving our sins and dwelling in us. But he doesn't make us perfect, not here. That's why the bumper sticker that says Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. The, the greatest experts on Christianity and how Christians are, are supposed to live are those that are not doing it. They are the experts about what a Christian should be and a Christian should not be. Christians are supposed to be per- perfect. Christians are never supposed to have any kind of problems. Christians are never supposed to struggle with anything because they're Christians. Well, that's easy to say when you're not trying to do it. It's foolishness. You know, I, I, I got to fly in the Navy for about a year and a half. And I didn't complete the whole thing getting my wings because of this paralyzed shoulder blade. But it would be like me in a few weeks standing on the banks of the Severn and watching the best, best pilots in the world fly over in their close formation. And me, go, me going, hey, number four, pick it up. What's your problem, number four? You're messing up the diamond formation. Get up in there. What, are you afraid? I'm standing on the ground. I've never flown at a 1,000 miles an hour. Two feet from another plane. But, oh, man, I can be an expert. It's like, it's like going to a ball game and listening to people in the stands that couldn't hit a ball pitched at them with a four-foot-wide piece of lumber. And they're going to tell that player what to do. And you go, this is where the, the lack of perfection comes in. Because whether you think it or say it, you go, idiot. What is, what is your problem? I mean, it's the second game of the year, right? They got a lead. They got the mountain on the on the on the on the uh, on the mound. It's a done deal. He was a done deal last year, right? Two outs. Orioles about to win the second their second game of the year. They'll be two and zero. Oh. A ball is hit to right field, the left field, right. And their defensive replacement, the guy they put in as the defensive replacement, because it's considered that he was a better defender than the guy that was in there. Right? And he dropped the ball. And the next guy up hits a home run, and it, which meant that the team from 
eastern Massachusetts. Won the game. Okay. He proved he was a human being. But not to hear some guys tell it. They, they don't just want him traded. They don't just want him sat down. They don't want him just sent to the miners. They, they, they don't just want him traded. They want him crucified. Because if it had been them, they would have never dropped that ball. Why wasn't it you? Why wasn't it you? Why weren't you with the one out there? Oh, that's right. You're, you haven't been good enough to be the guy out there. He was good enough to get there. Yeah. We won't talk about last year's Army-Navy game. Not discussing it. <laughs> not doing it. The bottom line is, they're all human beings. They're not automatons. They're not robots. They're not perfect. I mean, right now at 77, if I could guarantee them that I would only fail seven times out of ten, no telling how many millions of dollars they'd pay me. If I could guarantee them, only seven out of every ten times you put me at the plate, I would fail. I'd be worth millions of dollars. Now, I'm not excusing failure. But there's no excuse for denying that I need a Savior. Because it means I'm not being honest with myself about myself. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I've done this so many times. I've heard it all, right? Well, you just, you got to just preach all of that stuff just so you can be in control of people. Seriously? So without this preaching, you'd walk out of here and just be the most perfect person there is. But you're only, you only... You're only like that because you're being preached to like this? No, this is a message of hope. Hang on. Because the only being in the universe that can promise you a fresh start every time you need it, whether it's once a year, once a month, once a week, once a day, or many times a day, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else can give you hope that no matter what this moment holds, the next moment can be better. That no matter what I struggle with this moment, the next moment, what preacher, shouldn't, shouldn't you make some progress? Well, yeah. Yeah. I tell myself that all the time. Keep telling myself that all the time. From, from as early as I can remember, there's never been a time I didn't want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven more than anything else in this world. But there are times that I've said to myself, 
You're not acting like somebody wants to go to heaven. Those thoughts you're having are not the thoughts of somebody that wants to go to heaven. Well, what hope do I have? <laughs> uh, the greatest hope there is. I'm not my Savior. Preachers aren't your Savior either. Churches aren't your Savior either. Religion certainly isn't your Savior. Jesus didn't say, come to church. He said, come unto me. This isn't about religion. This isn't about church. This is about him. I didn't die for you. No church has died for you. He's the only one that's died for you. The only one. <laughs> this, this verse is just Isaiah one eighteen. I'm going to wait a moment till you put that on screen. I want them to read it with me. Isaiah one eighteen. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What is that? What's that talking about? What's so bad about red? That's not the point. He was using an analogy here, right? Because they all knew that the color red, the color crimson, which are two different shades of what we would call red, come from different sources. But they also knew that when you dyed something with the color crimson or the color red, it was permanent. There was no undoing it. And that's the way it feels with my sin. It feels like when I make a mistake, when I have thoughts I shouldn't have had, I do something I shouldn't have done, or I don't do what I should have done. It feels like that's permanent. And he said, <laughs> come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be at wool as wool. I, I don't know why I had never looked it up before, but just a couple of weeks ago, I, I looked up in the Hebrew what the word, what it means, let us reason together. And the Hebrew word is speaking of the debate that goes on in a courtroom, in a court of law, between the prosecutor and the defense attorney. And that debate settles whether or not you, ultimately settles whether or not you are innocent or guilty. You can be guilty and have a good defense attorney and in our courts get off. You can be as uh, innocent as possible and have a bad defense attorney and go to jail. Because that reasoning together didn't work for you. Well, here's the news. I got good news for you. First John chapter 1. 
verse 7. <laughs> but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, before I go on, I, I've got to talk about that a minute. In the Old Testament, according to the law, when they sinned, they had to bring a sacrifice. And that innocent animal was shed. Their blood was shed. And, of course, and I know our day and time. Ah. <laughs> the, the reason for that is, you're God. You originated all this. There wasn't anything here but you. You talk about blind faith. You believe all of this actually came into existence by accident? You talk about blind faith. <laughs> I've done this before. So if you've, you've heard this, I didn't plan on doing this, but I'm doing it. Okay, let's see. If you, in case you'd like to know, the sun's going to set this evening right here at 7.51 p.m. Last light will be at 8.19 p.m. Tomorrow morning, first light will be at 5.50 a.m. right here, and it sunrises at 6.18. Well, who controls that? Certainly not governments. Oh, let's do something else, okay? Let's go, uh, let's go 10 years into the future. So I'll go to 20, uh, well, sorry, I pushed the wrong button. Come on. There you are. Let's go to April 23rd, 2033. Oh. First light's going to be at 5.50, sunrise at 6.19, sunset at 7.51, and uh, last light's at 8.19. Uh, I, let's try something else. How many of you would like to know when the sun's going to come up in Paris in 2023? Right? Okay. In Paris, on April the 23rd, 2033, first light is at 6.11 a.m., sunrise is at 6.45 a.m., sunset at 8.54 p.m., last light is at 9.28. And all of that precision happened by some gigantic accident. You just wish you could have accidents like that. Talk about blind faith. That's blind faith. You believe all this just came about? With no explanation? That's what you choose to believe? That's blind faith. Watches that are that dependable. Mechanical watches that are that dependable and that precise cost tens of thousands of dollars. 
And yet all of this happened accidentally. Some put, somebody took all of these elements and put them in a box and shook them up, poured it out, and here we've got the universe. And they accuse us of blind faith. There's a difference between blind and being ignorant. There's some people that have to deal with blindness. And they function. They're obviously not ignorant. But that's not blind faith. That's ignorance. That is such a level of denial that it's beyond comprehension. And why do we choose to believe that rather than face the obvious? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Why do we do that? Because we want to run our own lives. We don't want to acknowledge that we need a Savior. I have a question. How's that working out for you? Really? If you're really honest with yourself, how's that working out for you? That you're running your own life and you don't need a Savior. Well, if I'm not happy, it's God's fault. Seriously? You don't consult him. He, you, <laughs> you don't seek him over anything. And that's typical human, isn't it? Everything good that happens, we take credit for. Everything bad that happens, he gets the blame for. You better be thankful there's a God. Who's, who's go, who would be your scapegoat otherwise? You can't stay married if you do that with your wife. Trust me. <laughs> so, again, if we walk in the light of season and light, we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Cleanse the from all sin. This is New Testament. Where's the blood at? We don't have an altar. We don't bring animals here and shed their blood in our place so God won't pour out his wrath on us right now. Why? Because all of that pointed to the cross. And he was the once and for all end of all sacrifices. There is no sacrifice after him. He was the Lamb of God who was slain and took away the sins of the world. Oh, but that's not all. He, in the mind of God, he was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. That means before he ever created man and gave man this free will, he knew that men were, men were not, men and women were not going to make right choices. So before he created us with our ability to make right or wrong choices, he had a plan to be able to forgive us. Before all that, you know what that's called? Love. That's love. That's love. That's a love like you and I can't comprehend. Someone started the quote. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know that even people that don't want to know that one know that one, don't they? But why? What's all that about? Because 
He died so that he could have a body. And so his blood could be in that body. And so by being in fellowship with him and his body, I didn't say a denomination. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And I believe that part of the body of Christ gathers here. So I go on. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Oh, by the way, the scriptures I'm reading were not written to everybody. They were written to believers, to the church. This, he's applying this to the church. If we, the believers, say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there's some folks, they would, they would, they would absolutely be a Christian if he, if he required them. My first time to go minister in Rio, and that's what I went for. Not, not any of that other stuff. The missionary picked it, my, me and my family up from the airport, and we drove from the Rio airport toward town. And you go across this causeway and there's this religious edifice there. And uh, there are many, many steps going up. And I said, what's that? He said, well, during a season every year, they put glass on those steps. And anyone that will crawl up those steps on their knees, when they get to the top, they can then ask and their sins will be forgiven. Seriously? Seriously? Really? So the only way I can believe I'm forgiven is to earn it by my sacrifice, by the shedding of my blood. No matter how much my sin is, my blood is shed. It's a sinner's blood. He said, well, well, you know, if you do enough good, it overcomes the bad. Really? So, you ever been, you ever been done wrong and what was done was a crime? And the person was tried and convicted and went to jail and served time. And when they came out, they were innocent of what they did to you. So, somebody, somebody shoots a bunch of kids, and they, they didn't die. So they go to court. They're found guilty. They're sentenced to life, but that doesn't mean anything anymore. So, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, they get out. And the families of those people they shot have to now consider them innocent because they've served their time, right? Doesn't serving your time make you innocent of what you were put in there for, right? Pay all the penalty you want to. You don't become good because you pay a penalty. I can't pay for my sins and become good. 
Someone who has not sinned has to love me enough to voluntarily pay for my sins in my place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's man's problem, isn't it? I can't earn this. I can't deserve it. I have to let him do it as a free gift of his love. And that's a problem. Because if that's the way it is, I don't get any credit. If I can't pay for my own sins and God doesn't accept my payment, then I don't get any credit for saving me. If he saves me on his terms, he gets all the credit. Amen. And so, if we confess our sins, this is verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. In other words, this, none of this is giving you permission to sin. None of this is giving you a license to sin. All of this is acknowledging while you're here on this earth and still have flesh, you're probably not going to do things perfectly. And if any man sin, here it is. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Remember, come let us reason together. I have a defense attorney. In the court of God's justice, in dealing with my sins, I have a defense attorney. And he's not only my defense attorney, the next verse. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So my defense attorney is also the one that volunteered to take the penalty for my sins. Which gives his defense of me weight that can't be denied. You know why we don't want to accept that? Because if we accept that, we have to accept that anybody that's wronged us deserves the same thing from us. Because I can't ask him to forgive me, and I'm undeserving, and yet not forgive them because they don't deserve it. Some of you were with me until then. You were with me till then. <laughs> they don't deserve it. Well, then you don't, you don't either. And that's why Jesus said, if you won't forgive those that have wronged you, I'm not going to forgive you. You know, there's some horrible things that people do. Horrible things. But none of them remove the blood from past forgiven sins. There's one thing you can do that will take God's forgiveness away from all of your, your sins. 
not forgiving those that have wronged you. Is that price worth it to you? This book, Matthew 18, says it very clearly. But you don't know what they've done. Are you breathing? Yeah. Well, then they haven't. (laughs) No. I'm so undeserving. And yet his love sent him to a cross in my place, suffered shame beyond comprehension. Can you imagine the creator of the universe robing himself in flesh and then letting his creation treating him so despicably just so he could demonstrate his love for us beyond question. It's, it's, it's not fathomable. It's not. I, I can't, I don't accept it because I understand it. Because I'm not God. I can't understand that. I love my wife. I love my sons, my daughters, my grandchildren. And in the right circumstances, I, I would die in their place. No offense. I probably wouldn't die in your place. I'm not God. Now I served in the military. My dad spent 30 years in the military. And I know there's a lot of people that die in the place of a lot of people who no longer really appreciate it today. Nothing against Germans and Japanese, but if it wasn't for all those people, the millions who died, you and I wouldn't be speaking English today we'd be, or Spanish. We'd be speaking German or Japanese. Because somebody, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old, 25, 30-year-old, most of the people that died were under 30, had their whole lives ahead of them. But the cause, the mission, defending people was worth it. The Bible says, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going there. I don't remember the verse. You can help me find it. Romans uh, 5. I'm going to start with, let's see. Romans 5. Okay. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, from a human perspective, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or recommends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when, we were his, if when we were enemies of his, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we, now, we have now received 
the atonement. A lot of folks don't know what that word means, but this is the way I've always explained it. Atonement, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. It's when God brings us into at-one-ment with God. The atonement opens the door for us to be made one with God. Brought into fellowship. Now here's the problem. If there's anybody that the blood does not work for, then the blood does not work for anyone. If there's anybody that blood can't pay their, the price of their sin, if there's anybody that the blood cannot provide them forgiveness if they will obey the Lord in faith and repent, then nobody's forgiven. But, but the, well, look what they've done. It's horrible. Yes. Yes. But my, my sins, which are so minor, right? They sent him to the cross as much as their major sins. So rather than classifying this group by where you came from, what kind of stuff you were involved in before God saved you, I can fellowship with everybody in this room as an equal because we all needed and need the blood. You don't know what I was, how I was treated. You don't know what I went through as a kid. You don't know. You don't know. You don't... Really? So you want to live in all that and continue to suffer the negative effects of all that rather than let the Lord forgive you and make you brand new and give you a new life. A new life. A new life. I can live in the past and in the pain of the past. And I don't care who you are. If you're breathing, you've got pain somewhere in your past. From somebody. And it may not be the same pain as you. And, and you know, it's... <laughs> My wife's had cancer three times. And people are so kind and loving. They come and tell her how much worse theirs was. Which means hers shouldn't be so bad because it's not as bad as hers. Seriously. Really. And I spent all last year dealing with seriously <laughs> bad shoulders that where I couldn't even sleep in a bed for over five months. And, you know, and, and people come along and tell me how bad theirs was. Which means I should just get up and tap dance around because mine doesn't. One wasn't like theirs, and so my pain doesn't count. Seriously? My pain's my pain. Your pain, no matter what, how much it was or whatever, it doesn't make my pain less for me. Over the years, we've had people come in here that were murderers. If they told it, that's one thing, but nobody else told it. God forgave them, made them brand new. Is that okay? No, it's not okay to kill people. 
But it's not okay to do any of the other stuff either. Well, that's worse. <laughs> Only from a human perspective. Jesus didn't, buy, Jesus didn't die for the, for the nice stuff and ignore the bad stuff. That's why the old saying is, everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. That blood wasn't shed for certain groups of people, certain races of people, certain economic classifications of people. The blood was shed for everybody equally, and at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. The world wants to make us unequal. But God wants to make us equal in Him. So that rather than living in my past, the blood draws a line and all that. He's covered all that with His blood. Now, I want my sins not to be scarlet, but to be covered with scarlet. I'm sure I can't remember the words, but it goes, covered, covered, covered by his blood, walking by faith, filled with his love, covered, covered, covered by his blood, Jesus has rescued me. You say Christianity is a bloody religion. Not in the way some would mean it. But it absolutely is. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But it's not your blood that's supposed to be shed. It was his blood that was shed. The, uh, the man... David, who became king of Israel, that the Lord said that he was a man after God's own heart. <laughs> Later in his life, after all of his great deeds and exploits, he committed adultery. The woman got pregnant in order to try to hide his sin. He, uh, he had the woman's husband put on the front lines where he would be killed. Horrible. And yet the, the scripture says that the Lord gives us the sure mercies of David. What David did was horrible. Yeah, it was. No better, no worse than me. In fact, the love of God and his ability to forgive is so great that the throne of heaven is going to be named the throne of David. How in the world could God allow that man's name to be on his eternal throne after the stuff he did as proof that we're all equal at the foot of the cross and we all need forgiveness? And that the love of God is able to wash us of all of our sins. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old sin, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hebrews 9, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer couldn't purify the unclean, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without God, purge your conscience from dead works or the works that were produced by sin that produced death. Purge your conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Because you see, in heaven, I've had some folks say, why don't you wear white shirts? Well, I wore white uniforms for seven years. It was my favorite colored uniform. But uh, my fashion in heaven is going to be a white robe forever. And oh, yeah, and everybody's going to be wearing a white robe. If you make it there, that's going to be your attire forever. So I'm not going to try to imitate that here. Not preaching against white shirts. God bless you. I'm just finding an excuse that works for me. There's an old song that goes, Won't it be wonderful there, Having no burdens to bear, Walking and talking with Christ the Eternal One. Won't it be wonderful there? I think those are the words. Something like that. I, I, I realize that a lot of folks are much more in t- t- tuned to staying here. You're welcome to it. When he's done with me, I'm out of here. One way or the other. Because here's the revelation. Ready? This ain't heaven. Never has been and is never going to be. And he's never made any promises to make this heaven. And as long as I'm down here, I'm not perfect. And I'm going to need a Savior every moment of every day because I can't ever save myself. It's been one of the things over the years that just really bothers me is people won't, because you're the preacher, and now I'm the bishop. They want to put you on some pedestal like you're not like them. Seriously? Seriously. There will be a day I won't be like this. But it's not today. And I'm not, I'm not volunteering to leave here. I'm ready to go when he's ready. But the point is. <laughs> as long as I'm here. I've got a message. blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanseth us from all sin. He makes us new every morning and throughout the day if needed. For, for us, it's too easy to be forgiven. It can't be that easy to be forgiven. All I have to do is confess that sin and ask him to forgive me. And he, are you kidding? It can't be that easy. Uh, it's not that easy for him. He, he died. If you ever study what he went through in crucifixion, when he was in that garden and he drank that cup of blood, it put such stress on his entire being. The Bible how do we know that? The Bible says he sweat great drops of blood. That means the pressure that he felt, the stress he felt, taking all those sins, ruptured the wall of his heart. And he bled into the pericardium that surrounds the heart. And the body, in attempting to dispel that blood, would cause it to be sweat out of the pores. But on the cross after he died, when they put that spear in his side, the Bible says out came blood and water. No, it was... Uh, <laughs> Plasma, there it is. I am 77. There's plasma and the red, red, it divided. The plasma and the red blood cells divided, which proves that was blood that had been sitting in that sack long enough to coagulate into the two parts. The place of death was the cross. The crucifixion wasn't the cause of death. He died from a broken heart. That's the cause of death. Not in sorrow for what he was doing for us, but in carrying the sorrow of sin. And so in order to make sure we knew what he was experiencing in that period of time that lasted about 24 hours or less of sin separating him from God, he cried out from the cross and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He had to feel the consequences of sin to pay the penalty. And the consequences of sin is separation from God. And he experienced that for you and I. So we don't have to live that way here or there. But here's the bottom line. It's all up to you. He does all he can do. Then we have to decide what we're going to do about it. And in this life, he will never make you do anything about it. It's got to be your choice. Just like it was his choice to love you enough to die for you and pay for your sins. It has to be your choice whether or not you're going to let him forgive you. Father, I thank you to this day for you, for your word. I thank you for each person that you have brought to this place or brought to this live stream to hear 
what you wanted to say to them, how you wanted to express your love to them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, Father, for your love. I thank you for your love. I trust you, Father, to move upon each one of us in this room right now or wherever we may be, that you would empower us, give us your grace by your love to enable us to trust you enough to acknowledge our sin and ask you to forgive us because you've already paid the penalty for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God. I would be totally failing at my responsibility if I didn't give those a chance who are here a chance to come and pray. We cannot forgive you of your sins. Praying with you does not remove your sins. But praying with you is our way of giving you our support in praying with you for you to be able to be forgiven. It's not that you can't do it where you're sitting, but it just is, it's just a way to demonstrate your, your choice. Just a way to demonstrate your choice. If you'd like to, to come and pray and, and, and let us pray with you because He loves you and we love you, we'd love to do that today. Well, I, I, don't, I don't, it would be embarrassing to come up there, really. <laughs> More embarrassing than to carry your sins out of here because you were too embarrassed to come and let someone pray with you. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to prolong this, but if you'd like, you'd like to come and let the Lord do this today. The scripture says, for Galatians 3.27, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you've not been baptized in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, We can do that today, today. It's not a long catechism process to qualify you. It requires faith and repentance. And you can be baptized today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. If you don't want to come down front, reach over to someone nearby you and take them by the hand and say, Will you pray with me? That's okay. In Jesus' name, Father, give us the faith to believe that your blood takes away all the stain of our past sin and makes us clean and new in you. We give all this to you, Father. We cast it all upon you. We trust you. We trust your blood. We trust you, Jesus. The love of God is in this place right now. That gentle, sweet spirit you're feeling here. It's not overpowering. It's just so gentle. Just touching you and wooing you. It's His love that wants to draw you to Him. That wants to encourage you to let Him forgive you. He cannot make that decision for you. He can't do it in your place. He can help you. He can bless you. 
He can forgive you if you'll let him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 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 In the name of Jesus.